please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplified. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Hello, this is Ken Roshan. We are in Las Vegas live at CEO Space Forum 516. And I think this is my 12th forum in a row. And I'm here with Harry P. Lay, president of Lay Professional Services Incorporated. And he is one of the pillars of CEO Space. I've been looking forward to having him on the program for quite some time. And I decided I'd wait until I was at a forum and I could hunt him down, lock him in for an hour because he's probably one of the busiest people here at CEO Space. He's the president of Lay Professional Services. Harry provides services that create value and enhance the performance of the firm's clients. These services include facilitating strategic and planning retreats, defining and implementing strategic goals, supporting an entire vision, and defining and implementing profit improvement. You do so many things, I can barely read this, Harry. (laughs) No, I I blew this up to at least a couple of different fonts and. uh, I'm not used to these three-syllable words, Harry. This I'm not <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Harry, uh, we're going to talk more about how uh, you've done so many great things in your life and, and how you've helped so many people. But what I'm interested in right now is starting off with CEO Space, obviously, is how we connected. Mm-hmm. And Bernie Dorman had a vision some, some time ago. How many years ago was that for CEO Space? Uh, 30 years ago. And you have been doing CEO Space for 12 years? 12 years. Right. And how many forums does that equate to that you've attended? There's been 60 forums held since June of 2004, and I've attended 58 of them. So you've only missed two. I've missed two. And you almost missed maybe, I guess, this one if your cough had persisted, right? That's true. Because something about, you know, doing the uh, speaking and and navigating the forum requires a voice, if I recall. It really helps. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Harry's uh, first, uh, I, I guess honor is to actually be the person that actually shares with new members how to actually have the most successful time here at the forum. That's true. That's a, that's a big responsibility. But it is, but I, I really enjoy it. We, we call that class navigating the forum because we have a number of CEOs coming somewhere anywhere from 100 up coming here for the first time, and they've never experienced the forum. They don't know what to expect. And uh, there's some tension. They're a little nervous about that, apprehension. They pay some money to come here. And so uh, we open the forum by talking about why are you here, uh, what is it about your business you wish was different, and based on what that is, certain faculty members, certain classes will be more appropriate than others. And so we try to get them to think about that so they can get the most out of the forum. And we kick it off. And we end it with taking the forum home, and I'm honored and, and flattered to be the first and last class that these ladies and gentlemen are going to experience out here. Well, I'm not the only one who shares his opinion. Uh, 
we equate your name with integrity. Oh, and, right. and you're a person that your tonal quality, you're at such peace when you give advice because you're so calm. And this is what I get from it, that you're able to actually just share with people in the most tranquil way how they can be successful. And I enjoyed a phone call with you some three months ago where you just really gave an hour of consulting, laid out the, the rules of, and we're going to go through some of this over the radio interview, but at the end of it I said, this man is got a book in him. <laughs> and you knew I was going to do this to you, Harry. Okay. So, so <clears throat> Harry is the kind of guy that when you actually get consulted from, you want to have the recorder on because he gives so many nuggets and he gives so many common sensible advice that if you do it, you actually get the results very simply. And it's kind of cool that business and life, the simpler you make it, the more it works. Very well said. Yes. So um, how did you meet Bernie? Because I heard the story that I'd like you to share with the audience. Well, in uh, December of 2003, I had a client in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who attended uh, CEO Space. It was then IBI. But he attended the forum in December of 2003 without my knowledge. And midweek of that week, he called me and said, Harry, I'm experiencing the most incredible business learning experience I've ever encountered, and you should be out here. And then we were meeting at, uh, in Los Angeles, or the CEO space was meeting in Los Angeles. <clears throat> Being a CPA and, and being required to get continuing professional education hours at least 40 hours every year, I just assumed it was a business conference for continuing professional education, and I humored my clients as, yeah, I probably should, and left it at that. In March of 2004, just less than three months after this conversation with my client, my daughter was killed in a car wreck. And uh, <clears throat> so that I was reeling and grieving over that, and I got a call one day. Uh, the voice on the other side said, uh, Mr. Lay, this is Bernie Dorman, and I'm calling to express my condolences for the loss of your daughter. I'm still numb. You know, Tracy hadn't been gone but a few days, and I appreciated the call, but I, I don't remember much about the call other than that. Uh, and then that was March, and then in late April of 2004, <clears throat> Bernie came to Tulsa, and... Uh, to do a sales call on the business people in that community, and he met me. And a uh, very, very nice man, very gentle gentleman, and invited me to come to the CEO Space event in June. I didn't want to come, but I appreciated his sincerity, his caring uh, spirit, and so I came. And uh, I came to CEO Space very skeptical. I knew what, I, what to expect. And as you've experienced, it's hard to explain what CEO space is if one's never been here before. It's kind of like the first time I went to see the Grand Canyon and this gigantic hole in the ground. And I don't know how to explain and paint a word picture of the Grand Canyon to anyone who's never been there. It's just majestic, majestic big, beautiful, doesn't touch it. And, that, and so... Uh, uh, but when I came to CEO Space, the first two or three days, I was very skeptical, a little uncomfortable. It wasn't anything like I expected. But by the time I left, I was very impressed with their commitment to help small businesses. 
And as you know, that resonates with me. And uh, little did I dream I'd ever be on the faculty, but I was invited to the faculty at the very next forum, and I've been here ever since. So you said a lot there, and I'd like to acknowledge a, a piece by piece. So first of all, uh, I like your analogy of the Grand Canyon, but I'd like to make a distinction. So the Grand Canyon, for me, when I went and saw it, you are absolutely 100% right. You go and see it, and you're not ready for it. It's a, it, it's a God-divine inspirational mm-hmm. experience, not picture, experience. <laughs> and you just cannot explain it because it, it moves you all the way in the inside. The distinction I'd like to make <clears throat> is that each time you go to the Grand Canyon, you might get something different out of it. You might. But with CO space, this is relationship building. This is relationship collateral. And this is something that I just was actually having a small epiphany today because I've, I've, I've talked about it several times, but the epiphany was our form 315, like when you can pick the ones that actually were the ones that changed your life. So 315, I met Barry Shore. And here I am taking a picture of you holding the cute smiling card because you're someone I want in that book because you cause not only people to smile, but you are the person that creates abundance because you remove problems from people's lives if they listen to you. <laughs> I mean, you got to take the action. So <clears throat> I was very clear that if I hadn't been to that 315, but let's say I'd been to form one, two, three, four, skip five, which was number, uh, no, it was number six, it was 315, mm-hmm. and seven, I don't get the key smiling book. I don't get the key smiling experience because that magic person comes to one sometimes. Sometimes they stay and come to another, 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 but there's a magic person at every event. And sometimes you're lucky enough to meet them. Sometimes you're lucky enough to work with them, but not all the time do you know when it's going to happen, right? And it was the second day, and that day was I was walking through the Marrakesh, and I see this guy, and he's like radiating some type of energy that I just it hit me like a ton. And I went over to him, and I just I was like, who is this wacko person? Who is this crazy experience I'm experiencing without talking to him? And he just exudes this massive smile. Yeah. <laughs> but going back to what uh, when Bernie invited you or when Bernie called you and your, your daughter passed, mm-hmm. it takes a very special person to, it does. to know how to do that call, how to be in that call, and how to be a stand for what he's actually getting himself into because it's a very touchy. My uncle lost his daughter, and he actually never was social again. I mean, he, mm. he, he went away for like 15 years, oh, wow. and, and he just went every day to the grave site. So I can't even touch. Like, I wouldn't know how to approach that call. And, you know, if you know someone, all you can really say is um, I, you have my sympathies. And so... When you, I heard the story yesterday, I wanted to bring that up because you met him in a very trying time. I did. Yeah. And you're a testament to the more you go to CEO space, the more your life shows up powerfully when you leave it. That's true. I'm, uh, I believe I'm a gregarious personality. Would you agree? I and uh, I had a lot of friends, close friends, 12 years ago. They still are. But the people with whom I spend the most time today, other than my family, are CEO space members. And, uh, and I only see them for a week, five times a year. But it is, uh, you and I are good friends. And we've known each other a relatively short time. Um, not because you're hosting this show, but you're one of my favorite people. And you have a very handsome two-year-old son. <laughs> He's soon to be three, so I get that compliment another year, I guess, huh? You bet. I was really excited to bring him last time to CO Space, and I had September actually tell me, if you're not bringing him, don't come. <laughs> well, he has a great personality if he just wasn't so shy. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll, I'll say the same thing about myself. The day I get a personality and sense of humor, I think I'm going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a chip off the old block. <laughs> well, speaking of chip off the old block, you actually remind me a bit of my dad. I think that's why I appreciate you so much. My dad uh, was an emphatic, uh, I guess, advocate of integrity. And he would say, your only asset and truly only asset is your character. And once you lose that, you have nothing. So when I met you and I, I just watched how you are and who you are with people, I said, this is one of those guys that believes that that's the most important asset they have is an integrity. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, and I really, going back to that call, um, <clears throat> I'm not going to apologize, but we are going to talk about the book you haven't written. All okay. Right? So you don't ever have to do something you don't want to do, as you know. Mm-hmm. But if it's done in a way that actually makes your life more powerful and makes the world a better place, it would be hard to argue that it's not worth looking at. <laughs> well said. I agree. <laughs> so I don't know if you I'm, – I'm thinking you remember this call because I think you approach a lot of your calls with a format and a sequence of laying down the foundation. I think that's how you even put it a little bit. So I was having a problem with monetization – I was basically starving myself to run a mission or a vision without the counseling of some of the things you said. And I really don't want to, to take the call and summarize. I'd rather you just kind of relive a part of that call and share what you share with a client that's having trouble monetizing. And really when it comes down to it, if you ask any business what they need, they say sales, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sales is not really the answer. It's really the problem. <laughs> so please go ahead. <clears throat> Well, Ken, you may need to prompt me. I remember that we had a conversation. And uh, I always enjoy visiting with you. You know that. Uh, But as far as remembering what the first question was that I asked you, I don't. Um, uh, And I hope I don't offend you with this statement, but as I was a practicing CPA for 19 years, and often would see clients of mine in social, at, at social events. And I noticed from time to time they were really self-conscious. And so a couple of them I asked, I said, are you nervous? And I said, well, yeah, Harry, we're, we're here at this event. And you know last year we had a rough year and we only made X. And I go, hmm. Or maybe they had a a serendipitous year, a big event, and, and they made a million dollars in one year. And they would be expressing concern about that, and I'd look them in the eye and said, again, I mean no offense, but I don't remember how much money you made last year. I don't remember how bad your year was because um, that that's not how I remember. A client is a client, and numbers are numbers, and, and I deal with them so much, <clears throat> I don't recall them. <clears throat> so, our call, um, if, it, if it was about monetization, probably one of my first questions was to you, how much more money or how much more sales would you, would you like to have? You're right. Most, most clients want more income. Um, and for me, I can't control your behavior or any of my clients' behavior or my wife's, or my kids' behavior, or my employees. At one time, I had 600 employees. And so uh, if I'm working with you or some other business owner, I need to know what's motivating them to be in the business that they're in. 
I don't care what the motivations are, but I need to know and understand them. I need to know how much money would they like for their business to be able to pay them as compensation this next year. And why? The reason for that is I hope I earn your trust and I have the opportunity to work with you for the next two or three years if I'm needed. And if you bring an opportunity or an issue to the table and you're wanting my assistance in helping you accomplish that, I'm going to be for it. If I have a client that has an idea, I want to support them with that idea. However, because you trust me, I want to make sure you get to your vision. I want to make sure you achieve that level of compensation that you want. And if this opportunity you're bringing to the table is not going to take you where I think it's going to take you, I'm going to ask you questions about that opportunity. I don't ever want to get in an argument with you or anyone else about who is right. It doesn't make any difference. If you're my client, if you're my friend, and what you want is right. So if I see you going in a northeasterly direction, but you really want to go south in your vision, I'll ask you, well, Ken, I thought you wanted to go south. Isn't that your vision? Yes, sir. But you're headed northeast. So show me why this opportunity that's going to take you northeast is going to get you to your south vision faster. And you know what? You may be able to explain it in such a way that it is logical because you will know more about that opportunity than I do. And if you can, I'll be your greatest champion. Let's go. I'll, we'll hook up arms and we'll go there together. On the other hand, as you're trying to explain why you're going northeast, you may come to the realization, oops, that's not going to get me where I want to go. No, hey, I don't think I want to do that. Did I tell you not to do that? No. I remind you of where you're going, and you're off on a tangent. Was that, was that close? That was very close. And uh, <clears throat> just two points. You don't just extend that question to me or to the, your client. You extend that question to the people that work for them. For instance, we had a, yes. we had a team on the, on the phone line, and whether they were on the line or not, you said to keep your team. You need to echo these same questions to them because if you take care of making sure what they get what they want, then they're going to do what they have to do to get what they want. For instance, you said, find out what your team wants to make, and let's say it's $100,000, and my team's hearing this, and find out what it would take for them to make a $100,000, and in yeah. that way, there's integrity in what you're going to deliver to them, but there's also integrity in what they're doing to, to receive it. So that was a, a very vital part, and... Uh, the other thought I'll come back to when I get that, but you said monetization is one aspect, and you're saying there's other aspects, and I wouldn't really know what whether what clients call you about. So give me a couple other examples of things clients call you about that would be a problem you could uh, advise them on. Excellent question. I use the term vision a lot. <clears throat> I believe that if we own a business, there's only two kinds of tasks we should be working on those tasks that will generate income, cash flow, or profits. In other words, we're getting paid by somebody for doing what we do, or those activities that will take us to our vision. Well, you have a vision for your business, Ken, and that vision has different components. If I recall our conversation, you are very concerned about the people with whom you're going to work and the culture that you have there. 
You want to have a culture in your business that you're proud of that reflects the values that you have as well as you want a culture that's fun. It's motivating and it's inspiring for your people. The uh, a second component is operations. You want to do things right the first time. You want to be able to hit deadlines consistently, do things right for every time. You're concerned about how you're going to market, and you're concerned about the financial metrics you want to hear, either building up your equity or maximizing your profits. So when people come to me with a problem, every single problem somebody's come to me with in 30 years, it affects one of those four things, people and culture, operations, marketing, or financial. And so that's what I've got to drill down to when they come to me with an issue is which part of your vision do you want us to work on? And if there's more than one, you help them with as many as you need, right? Yeah, and the sequence in which they define <clears throat> So what I was going to say earlier is that another aspect of what you're doing is you're expediting the pace of success. For instance, if 80% of businesses go out of business, there was a time frame that they were exhausting that would put them in a failure instead of success mode. Mm-hmm. So when you have a consultant that's actually solving the problem, you're ensuring a higher rate of success and a higher rate of profitability. And people don't necessarily equate that consulting or that holding people to the accountability of what their vision is as a value that can actually be substantiated. But really, it's, uh, it's, it is priceless <laughs> because failure is, is something that no one wants. It's not an <laughs> Right. It's not an option, but you're exactly right. If I can't help my clients increase their revenue or profits or get them to their vision faster, they don't need me. Well, I know we're going to be going to break pretty soon. How, how can people reach you, Harry? They can reach me um, by email or text or phone call. And give me a couple of those. Uh, my email address is harryl at lay. PSI.com. PSI stands for Professional Services, Inc. And we're going to have these all on the uh, Amplified Facebook page as well. And so, uh, uh, website? The website is www.laypsi.com. Okay. And it looks like right now we are going to break, so we'll be back in about a minute. And... uh, Pick Harry's brain for the second through eleventh chapter of the book. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash the Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. If you are a small business owner or entrepreneur, you may not be aware of the different options available to you in securing business capital in today's market. We discuss and explore these options each week on Small Business Capital America with host Michael Schumacher. 
There are two primary ways of building business capital. Profits, which are basically higher revenue and reduced expenses, and external or debt capital. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrella syndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. All right, this is Ken Roshan. I'm with Harry P. Lay, and we are excited about the second, uh, the second part of the show because this is going to be the finale of your entire book, Harry. Well, I'm excited. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. <laughs> so the four areas that people come to you uh, for are, just name those four areas again. They want to make changes to uh, their people or culture. There's something about their operations that they want to improve. Oftentimes, they're not happy with the results of how they market their product or services. And there's always concern about the financial metrics. They're not making enough sales, they're not making enough profit, or they're not building up their equity. So I was... uh... I was negligent in sharing how impressive some of the past companies or past clients you've had are, and so I'm going to make sure that's clear at this point. So you've worked with multi-million dollar companies and had them really surge to their full potential, and you can give a couple examples, but your architecture firm was brought up yesterday by Aaron Young, that it was a $4 million company? It was a $4, it was a $4 million company when uh, I, t- I took over the the leadership with the, with the three owners, and in uh, eight years we grew from forty people and four million dollars in sales to six hundred people and five offices, including one in Mexico City, and our billings total over a hundred million dollars. Over a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Okay. And you had said something kind of funny at the conclusion of that story, which is watch what you asked for. Yes. Um, build a $100 million company, and we did it without raising any money. It was all organic growth. We didn't merge or acquire anyone. Uh, but it was quite a ride, huge commitment. And no, I would never do it again. <laughs> but, well, uh, I don't want to take up a lot of time for this. I just wanted to, the audience to hear that this is not uh, just a consultant coming on in here and has some good advice. You, you, you deliver results. I want to uh, put a lot more into how do you do that and how does a client do that when you advise them. So can you give a couple of the things you had to shift? Because obviously if it's a $4 million company and they keep doing what they're doing, they kind of stay at that level, don't they? Is that true? Yes. Or they grow at a level that's very... Well, obviously if, if there's something about my business that 
I wish was different or something I want to change, I have to change what and how I do things to get different results. I think that's, I think we can agree on that point. And so in this case, um, the, uh, and what I do with Christ now is I try to get them to articulate what is it about their business they wish was different first and then help them to define, frame, quantify, and document a vision. Now, I'm using the term vision that all the listeners know what a vision is, even in a business context. And yet, each of us will have a different context for that word. So I have defined vision in a very specific way, not that my definition is better or more accurate than anybody else's. But as you've alluded to the fact that I have processes that I use to build the companies that I've had. I, ha- I have processes that facilitate my clients making certain, certain changes. One of those processes is one that I call strategic planning. And the foundation, the bedrock of that process is the vision statement. And in the, my process, the vision statement is an internal document. It's written purely for the owners and the team that they have or they want to attract, hire, and retain to help them accomplish that vision. So in the case of this architectural firm, it was imperative that we get the visions of those three individuals on the same page to use common vernacular. But let me hasten to add that I've never had a client, even family-owned businesses, and as you know, I'm a certified FOMB consultant, family-owned and managed businesses. And I've had, I have a lot of clients that are family-owned businesses, but I've never had two spouses with the same vision. Hmm. I've never had two parents and two kids with the same vision, siblings with the same vision, but their visions must be compatible, Ken, so that if you and I are partners, we need to spend some time, I, in my opinion, talking about what does Ken want to get out of our company? What does Harry want to get out of our company? And they don't have to be the same things as long as, this, as long as if I help you get our company where you want it to be and you help our company get where I want to be, we both get what we want. What a concept. Therefore, if we have a disagreement on something, we'll figure out a way to collaborate and cooperate and support one another because once we reach our destination, i.e. our vision, we both get what we want. So the key with these three individuals was framing and quantifying what they need the firm to look like. Now, at the time I was going through this process with them, that was not my motivation. My motivation was to get them on the same page so that as each of them told me what their performance expectations were of me as their CFO and president, I, would, I wouldn't have to choose which two I'm going to disappoint. And so, but then, so, in the process, so this process that I use today had its genesis back in 1988 when we were building that company. And what do you call the process? I, I refer to it as my strategic planning process, but it's, it's really, it's, it's more than just strategic planning. Every listener has a different definition or context for strategic planning than I have. And in fact, my original experiences with strategic planning was not very positive. 
So I'm trying to. I want you to help me come up with a new, new description of it. It's more. It's strategic planning plus a lot more. I agree. So here's the kind of convoluted question: Someone wants to start a business. Is there a difference between how they approach that and someone that already has a business that is dysfunctional, meaning they have to correct things? Do you get my point? Yes. So do they have to go backwards to start, or is there two different ways you consult them? And how would you consult them? A lot's going to depend on the personality styles of the individuals. A lot's going to depend on their background and education compared to mine. Uh, so, but generally, it, the approach is the same. In other words, if it's a startup, I want to help them to frame and quantify what they need that business to look like. In a startup, they, they're, they're going to have a product or a service they want to deliver, but it's not really proven yet. It's not been in the marketplace yet. And so they build into the service. They build into the product certain value propositions, which they hope is going to stimulate or lead somebody to want to buy it. Whereas in an existing business, they already have products that are out there. They are being sold. But they may not really know and understand why their customers are buying their product. Most business owners presume or assume that if I'm selling a fountain pen, they're buying that fountain pen because of the value propositions I've built into it. Great. I love the fish. You know that. And I, and I use this example a lot. I will buy a fishing lure that was manufactured to dive below the surface of the water, have a certain action that will attract and entice a bass to eat it, and we catch them. And a lot of times I have bought these, we call them subservice lures, to catch fish deep, and I don't catch a fish on them. In fact, the first bass tournament I ever fished and won, I was throwing a lure that was a diving bait, and I threw the lure, and I had a backlash. And so as I'm pulling the backlash out of my reel, it's sitting, sitting on top. Smash, a bass ate it. I caught it, reeled it in. I thought, that's weird. This thing's supposed to dive down seven feet, and he hit it right on the surface. Uh, but I was really pleased I had this new lure. So, I, again, I cranked it for another hour. never got a hit. I made a cast. And I nicked a branch on the way, so I had another bird's nest in my reel. I'm picking it out. It's sitting on top. Bam, I caught a fish. Hmm. Note to self, Harry, why don't you throw that out there and let it sit on top? I won the tournament on that lure, and I caught every fish on top water. And what's a backlash? A backlash? It's a, that's when the reel overruns, and it just gets all, hmm. all tangled up, and you have to pull it out. And so sometimes it takes several minutes, and that lure is just sitting there. So I learned, so this lure was manufactured to dive down to a depth of seven feet. But taking it down seven feet that day didn't work for me. So I bought more of that lure, not for the value propositions built into it, because I'm using the lure in a different way, and I won quite a bit of money fishing that lure as a topwater bait. Similarly, if you're selling me a service, if you're selling me a product, because you built three value propositions in it, but I'm using, I've discovered a fourth one. As the, as the seller of that product, you need to know why your customer is buying it. And I don't know how many times 
when I encourage my client to listen to their customers, they discover why their client is buying the product and it's not for a value proposition they built into it. Right. You see? I do. So with an existing company that they're having problems, I want them to find out why are customers buying their product. And in a startup, we have to, you know, we have to test it in a different way. So that's one difference. So we talked earlier about when businesses are actually heading into failure instead of success, meaning startups have a hard time succeeding. One in five make it, so to speak, right? Right. And the one in five that make it don't necessarily, they're not necessarily abundant. They just aren't out yet. Right. So in approaching going into a new business, talking to someone like yourself, they're actually moving some of that, the obstacles out of the way before they start the game. Yes. Okay. And had I known you, before I started this business four and a half years ago, just like you said, had you been the CEO space before you started your first business, you would have had the, the right wisdom and mindset to excel and leverage your time more so that you didn't, quote unquote, regret <laughs> what you asked for in time commitment, right? Yes. And, and so what, we're, what I'm trying to do, what CEO space is trying to do for its members is accelerate their pace to success. Right. Uh, some people uh, are high achievers, and, and they're going to be successful no matter what. But but there's always a working smarter. There is there is something about working smarter rather than just harder. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a business breakthrough. You don't have these answers before you get to see a space. You're entrenched in pretty much a 12 to 15 hour conversation a day for anywhere from five to 10 days, mm-hmm. and you leave here reprogrammed. Exactly. And you are potentially physically and even mentally exhausted, but you are programmed to actually implement on a different level and expect and account for what you're going to expect at a different level. And, and it doesn't even make sense. So you have to pay a pretty penny to be here, but it's like anything else in life. If you have to pay and invest in your business success, but you actually get it tenfold back, then there's no argument this is not a good value. Yes, and I really appreciate your, your mentioning that because we're a very cost-conscious nation. Right. Uh, most business leaders always want to know how much is something going to cost. And I can agree with that, but I think we're overdoing it. Well, I think the better question, if I may, what am, go ahead, go ahead. But what I was going to say is, what am I going to get in return for your, this cost? And, for example, if uh, um, I buy a new machine in my manufacturing factory and that machine costs $100,000 and I don't have $100,000, that's, that's a tough nut. But that machine is going to give me the capacity and the ability to quadruple my production. Right. And so I'm going to spend $100,000 on that machine, but in the first 12 months I have it, it's going to improve, it's going to increase my sales $500,000. So how many of us would spend $100,000 to get $500,000? 
I'm holding my hand up. I would do that all day long. Right, and to make the problem a little bit more convoluted or complex, would you spend maybe 10000 a month for social media help or advertising or marketing that actually almost guarantees the sales flow you need to hit that $500,000 mark? Excellent point. Right. <laughs> I do it all day long. And so these questions are challenged and asked, and the, the one thing I, I, I guess I'm a little remiss to bring up is that people come here one time and they're so overwhelmed, they don't get that this was their first taste, <laughs> and it becomes more palatable the second time. And I noticed such a shift when I went the first time. I remember meeting you. I remember meeting everyone else. But I don't know if everyone remembered meeting me for the first time. But the second time they did. Because it's like, wow, okay, you're back. You're a player. And I think too many people, whether it's CEO space or anything else you're tasting, it is a taste the first time. Mm -hmm. There's no way you can expect anyone to take you seriously when you see someone for the first time. It's like me going to a networking event, meeting you for the first time, say, I'd like to pitch you. I hope you're going to buy from me right now. Mm -hmm. I'm a photographer or whatever I am, would you please buy without creating any relationship? So I, uh, I can't emphasize enough that CEO space becomes more valuable as you attend it because it actually is not a re-up on the, the first fee is the only time you pay the full fee. That's true. The other fees are almost the cost of eating. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, in, in my case, I came the first time very skeptical it exceeded my expectations, but Ken, I had no intention of ever coming back mm. um, because I had a good business back home in Tulsa, and I didn't travel. <laughs> I can't believe 12 years ago. I didn't. I traveled very little, and uh, uh, Bernie asked me if I would come back and teach a class, and I did. It's, it's strategic planning. I brought the whole concept of strategic planning here. <clears throat> And my business exploded. I had to get on the road. And so now, well over 90% of all my business is done outside of the state of Oklahoma. But, and you know, when you, when you stop, I'm, I'm, I've stopped to think as we're, as we're recording this, that I come to Las Vegas five times a year, 10 days each time. So that's 50 days a year I'm here and I probably spend over $12,000, $13,000 a year just traveling and staying out here. Mm -hmm. I can get two clients that's paid all of that. Right. And I get a whole lot more than two clients out here. Not counting the 50 days, but, it's, uh, but the point is it's an investment that we make, but we also have to have the willingness and the ability to change what and how we do things in order to make the changes we want. And there's the rub, is that if, uh, and I had to get comfortable with getting on an airplane and flying to a client, getting on an airplane to come out here and market. And it has changed my life, but it has enriched my life many, many times over. I don't think there's a person that wouldn't agree with the next comment, is that you sit at these meal tables with gurus like yourself you can't get their time for anything close to free <laughs> in the real world. But here they are, just completely tied in their time, as Bernie puts it. And you could have a problem that's disclosed to the table, and it might be the guru, i.e. you running the table, or it might be another one of the entrepreneurs that solves that problem with a real quick answer that says, yeah. I've seen this problem, or I, I, I understand your problem. 
or I understand, I know the person who can solve the problem. You know, it's just, and next thing you know, and, and that was the biggest point they made to me when, before I went to see those spaces, bring your Rolodex and bring lots of problems because they're going to be solved one at a time. Now, whether you take action on them is a totally different thing, but the problems are solved on a very quick basis. You can go in one hour as in like Snap. Mm-hmm. If you just share the, the premise of Snap really quickly with the audience, because I, I, I want you to define it since you've done it so many times. Well, SNAP stands for Super Networking Accelerates Potential. And it is a game. It is an exercise that's a little silly. Um, But if you check your ego and your pride at the door, you have an opportunity to tell your story, i.e., this is the services that I provide. Here's a product I'm selling. And in two hours, you get to tell that to every single person in the room. Who are all high achievers. (laughs) Who are all high achievers. And they may not need my product, but they'll need somebody. They'll know somebody that does. And they give us a CV card with their name, their phone number, the contact information. And it's amazingly, amazingly effective. So to prove it is, would you mind sharing your snap for the audience? Oh, I don't have one. You don't have one. I don't snap. I go and I and I I I've never made the circle. Okay, so I sit, I sit in the circle and I hand out. So I'll give an example of a snap, and um, I'm going to be vulnerable here because you could say that was the worst snap ever. But here we go. So I heard from Dr. Gruder this morning uh, the terminology snapatizer, like an appetizer of a snap. Mm-hmm. And I've always believed in a snap being a short soundbite that people can get real quick and respond to real quick. So I've always liked the 17-second to 30-second snap because all the rest of me is story, and it actually loses my attention on what I can Mm -hmm. do to help them. So my snap is there are a lot of authors in the world that write books, but those books become storage problems for them because they don't have a marketing plan. Without the marketing plan, they never write another book. If you know an author that has a book that is having a lot of trouble getting the book into the world, I can help leverage that. And the closing part is, if you or you know an author that needs my help, let me know or write a, write a card down. That's well, well said. Okay. It's very good. So I have found that short soundbite that can still be improved, and I, and I haven't obviously rehearsed it or it sound like that, but I get, out of five people, I get almost five because almost everyone knows an author, and almost every author has that problem. But mm-hmm. it's, it's very segmented. I didn't say, does anyone know an entrepreneur that wants to write a book, or does anyone know some of the rights, but and all this other stuff. Uh, and I, I found that I had more leads than I could handle. But that is a good problem. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, the purpose of a snap is to remind the listeners that they have a problem or a need that you have a service or a product that's a solution for. And if you have time, give some kind of a hint as to how why your solution is better than anything else that's out there. Right. That's the purpose of a snap. Yes, so there's a, there's a credibility aspect of it that has to be put in place. And so me adding something like I leverage books because I go to events and I'm able to bring the books at no cost to the author to get lots of visibility would be a bit of addressing that. So uh, I wanted to talk about your book, but I also want to talk about other books you've read that have made a difference to you. Where, what did you read? Uh, how did you get into doing this? What motivates you to do what you do? That's a very good question, Ken. <laughs> Lots of, lots of things, but the primary realization I came to, with the architectural firm, we made a transition 
from a four million dollar a year company to a six hundred uh, to a hundred million dollar company with six hundred employees. And so, in that transition, I made every mistake a leader could possibly make, and I don't know how they survived me, but we did. Um, and in that process, I became involved with the Tulsa Chamber of Commerce, and uh, which is a very highly ranked chamber of commerce nationwide. And um, and I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but we had probably 500 members that were very large companies with over 500 employees. We had about between 3,500 and 4,000 members that were small businesses. And we'd have chamber events, and 90% of the big companies would be there, and not 2% of the small business people would be there. And... Um, I started, uh, so most of our members were small businesses, but they wouldn't come because they don't, don't, They think the only benefit was to the large companies. And then I started reading, reading things. And, uh, you know, and I became aware that our nation needs jobs. In 2014, 86% of the gross national product in the United States was produced by employers of 50 employees or less. 82% of all the new jobs created in the United States in 2014 was generated by employers of 100 employees or less. Three years ago, I took a tour of Istanbul for a week and a half, then to Greece for three and a half weeks, and saw hundreds of American companies with their international headquarters in Greece or Turkey. Mm-hmm. And we're creating jobs, having jobs and jobs. The big companies are outside. And yet the failure rate, you talk about one out of five, um, if a small business starts today, 75% of, those, of the companies started in this year are going to fail. Of the 25% that are left, <coughs> 80% to 90% of them are going to fail next year. Horrible. And these small business owners don't get access to people like you and me, and I don't mean that in a, in a, in a bragging sense, but small businesses can't afford to hire consultants. They don't trust consultants. And you and I have had this conversation. I call myself a trusted advisor. I don't call myself a business consultant, although I'm in the consulting business. See the difference? Yes. And so about 21 years ago, I dedicated the rest of my career to helping small businesses be successful however they define that. So the first year, I want them to survive. The second year, they've got to be a profitability. The third year, they've got to be making enough money to pay the, pay the owner what they need to make. And so that's my motivation and is that uh, it's sad to me that... Um, our nation is, is, you know, we need jobs. I think everybody understands what, the nation needs more jobs. And it's the small businesses in America. They're the backbone of our economy. And so that's my, as corny as it sounds, that's my motivation. Well, that's not corny at all. I mean, that gives you purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you think about it, people that are chasing the entrepreneurial dream, it is a dream. And so what you're doing is you're helping those dreams come true. Hopefully. And so many of the dreams are nightmares. Because we don't get we get in the e myth. Yes. And uh, for those of you who don't know that reference, that's uh, Michael Gerber, 
and he talks about the three pillars of why the the entrepreneurial dream does happen or why it doesn't happen. And you're dealing with uh, really every single aspect of a business when you break it down to operations or culture or finance. What was the fourth one? Well, all four of them have to be in harmony. Yes. <clears throat> and they're and and they're and in different organizations one may be more important than the other one, but uh, it varies <clears throat> from entity to entity. So when you got this new company, what was your first thought, uh, the $4 million company, what was your first thought of what needs to change or what were you proposing uh, that made the biggest difference? <laughs> uh, well, the first thing, we've got to be able to do business with people who could afford to pay us. Uh, we mm-hmm. had a, quite an accounts receivable collection, co- collection problem. And then when we got the vision framed and quantified by the owners, Clearly, the clients that we had at that time would not give us the volume of business that we would need to hit their their compensation targets. So we had to redefine what is it that we want to do for which we get paid. Given what it is we're going to do for which we get paid, what needs are we meeting? And based on what needs we're meeting, whose needs do we meet? And so we started identifying markets that we should serve, but we weren't. And so we identified, you know, so and we wanted businesses that, that had recurring building programs so we don't have to reinvent a new, a new client every time. And so we did some research and found out that the military was doing, was building more square footage of new buildings back in, the, in those days than any other entity, so we targeted the military. We, we just couldn't penetrate that market. And you worked with Walmart. It was one of the bigger. And, and so, well, we no, we we didn't have Walmart as a client yet. And so, uh, so then we looked. Well, other than the military, who's next? Well, it's big box retailers in the in the early '90s, late '80s. And so uh, we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, who's the largest retailer? Walmart. Where are they? Benville, Arkansas, hour and a half drive from Tulsa. So we called on them. And uh, they already had 31 architectural firms working with them. But they did. They threw us a bottle, and they gave us five projects, and they gave us 10 projects. And 18 months later, instead of 32 architectural firms, we were the only one with whom they were working. And that was the beginning of the, of the rocket ship that took us. Well, I can mm-hmm. see that this hour went by too quickly, as it always does, especially <laughs> when you I mean. There's a lot to be said when you're work, uh, talking to someone who's really interesting and you can't get all that information out. And also, I don't want to overwhelm myself with all the great answers you'd have. So I, I got a lot of value out of and I always do when I talk to you, Harry. I, I would love it if you just uh, share either a quote or a book that you'd recommend reading and just uh, tell people how they can reach. Well, when you talk about the, the main things I read these days is for relaxation. That's Best Masters magazine. <laughs> uh, but but one of the books that really that really impacted me uh, the most was uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. Um, it's I've read it several times. The um, and the book I've read the most often is uh, by David Meister, M A I S T E R, um, True Professionalism. And then he wrote a second book, The Trusted Advisor. Uh, yes. And and those those two books, when I read them, I don't think I read anything in them that I didn't know before. 
but his style and his communication style really resonated with me, and it was required reading from architects. True professionalism was incredibly helpful to me. And how do people reach you again? Uh, you can reach me uh, at, by email at harryl at laypsi.com or go to the website www.laypsi.com. And we will make sure all this information is on Amplified Facebook page. And I uh, remember that you had a, you had read uh, Focus on Impact by uh, Wendy Lipton Dittner, and she really highlighted your testimonial over everyone else's. I think the reason why is you were one of the people that read the book. <laughs> and I yeah. share that from a standpoint that I find out that a lot of testimonials are people that might be skimming or don't throw it, but yours was such on point. I read your and I really got a synopsis of what I was going to be enjoying in her book. And then we saw a trajectory code today done by Dr. Jeffrey McGee. So I really look forward to your book being one of the books people mention. I think what you're sharing is not just valuable, it's essential for the success or at least really changing the curve of what's going to happen in your business. So thank you for being on the show, Harry. You're an amazing person, and I treasure our relationship. I do, too. Thank you you very much. Harry Pillay, you've been amplified, and we hope to have you again. Thanks a lot. I hope so, too. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashan again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard. Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash the Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page.